what changes us from just intellectual belief in God to this heart transformation encounter with God. James had that. And he was one of the pastors in the, in the first church, the church in Jerusalem, and he's instructing them. And I want you to notice in verse 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers. He's using this loving family language, he's, even as he corrects and confronts the church to help them grow up into godliness. It's in love. He's in close proximity with these people, speaking hard truths in love. He says, let every person be quick to hear. Let every person be quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger. We're going to get to those two points, but the first one here is to listen humbly. He says, let every person be quick to hear. And then verse down, uh, one verse down in 21, he says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. See, this, this, this emphasis here is on being quick to hear and receiving with meekness the implanted word, the word of God. And so the, the principle here is for us to listen humbly to both God and to other people. James has both in mind here. Verse 21, the implanted word. This is the authoritative word of God, the Old Testament, and now the teaching of the apostles, the teaching of Jesus, the, the gospels that they were beginning to record and circulate among the early churches. He's saying, listen, be quick to listen, be quick to listen to God, be quick to hear God's word. Pay attention to what God has to say. And so there's this implication here, as I said at the beginning, these four principles to help you prosper in your relationship with both God and others. The first one to prosper with God is to listen to him. And by extension, to prosper in your relationship with other people is to listen. We all know this, right? It's a basic, foundational principle. I was working on this passage, I was reading this passage and working on this sermon on Thursday, and I got home Thursday evening, and I checked my email one last time before the weekend, and there was an email from my son's first grade teacher that had a four-minute video from the child psychologist that they used to help equip parents to care for their kids, and this great video about listening to understand. Like, first graders are learning this stuff, and yet I feel like as an adult who's parenting a child, I've completely forgotten. It says, let every person be quick to hear, quick to hear from God, and quick to hear what others have to say. And then spiritually speaking, receive with meekness, with humility. That word meekness there in verse 21, it's, it, it means humility, means gentleness, means softness of heart, openness of ears. Isn't it interesting? Ancient philosophers and, and a lot of Jewish thought leaders would mention this often that isn't it just interesting that God created us with two ears and one mouth? Also two eyes and one mouth? The eyes take things in, they observe, they, 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 it's a visual way of listening, and the ears, you, you hear, is the auditory way to listen. Two ears, but one mouth. And so truly listening, it, it's not simply hearing the words that somebody is saying, whether it's God or another person, but it's comprehending their, contact, their content and their impact. Hearing God is a supernatural gift. It's a, it's a gift, as James says in verse 21, receive, this is a gift that we receive from God, the implanted word. With humility, we, we receive God's word, 
with humility, we submit ourselves underneath it. God's word is the authority. God is the authority. We, we with humility and meekness, we submit ourselves, we surrender underneath it. And then it's an implanted word. It's this, it's this the, the language there, implanted word. It's like when you plant a seed. Spring is around the corner. It's going to be here eventually. I know there was snow coming down this morning, and there's some really cold days ahead of us, and probably a few blizzards. But before you know it, some of you are going to be working on your garden. You're going to be planting little seeds in your garden, intending to the garden, and over the summer, that little seed that you planted is going to grow into fruits and vegetables for you to consume and to nourish your body. That's the imagery that James is getting at here. We receive God's word. It's like a seed planted. And as we tend to the soil, as we care for God's word, as we continue to till the soil and to water the seeds that are planted, it grows. This is a supernatural gift. Jesus says in Matthew 13, actually flip to Matthew 13 with me. It's on page 818 in the pew. Actually, we don't have pew Bibles anymore. Um, Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verses 14 through 17. Jesus speaking with the disciples. They're wondering why Jesus speaks in parables. It's interesting. Sometimes in our culture, we like to make things as easy as possible to understand. There's a lot of work and effort. There's an entire industry given to, to helping people create TED Talks where it's small, condensed, easy to understand. And a lot of people expect pastors to be like TED Talks professionals. Make it small, easy, simple, quick, easy for me to understand. Jesus, he doesn't give in to that. He, he gives these long sermons using parables and makes it really hard to understand. And the disciples ask him about that. This is what's happening here in Matthew chapter 13. The disciples are asking Jesus about why he's using parables, why it's so hard for people to understand. He says in verse 14, he says, indeed, in their case, the people who can't understand his words, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled when it says, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. See, that's the implanted nature of God's word, that God's word, if, if it's really taking root, it causes us that, that, that idea there of turn, Repent means to repent from your wicked ways, to repent from your hard-heartedness, to, to repent from being slow to hear and quick to speak. Remember, James says everyone should be quick to hear and slow to speak. I don't know about you. It's opposite for me. I'm quick to speak and slow to hear. And so Jesus here is saying th those who, who are having a hard time understanding as God's word is implanted, it, it causes this repentance, this turn, and he says, I would heal them. Verse 16, he says, but blessed are your eyes, the disciples, those to whom he revealed it, those who have Jesus' word implanted and they've received it with humility, with meekness. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. See, it has to do with receiving God's word with humility, listening with humility. And then also, by extension, our relationship with others works best if we listen in humility. So just a couple practical self-assessment questions for you this morning on this point. The first one, to ask yourself, do I care about what God and others have to say? 
That's where it starts. If you want to grow in listening with humility, and, and, and I'm on a journey of this. I am a terrible listener. I don't interrupt a ton, but I've realized this past year when other people are, are talking, I'm usually interpreting what they're saying through my own lens, trying to figure out what to correct about what they said that I believe is wrong. And God has really convicted me and worked me over in this this year. And really what it came down to, to me, is wrestling with, do I really care about what God has to say and what others have to say? If James is telling me to be quick to hear and to receive with meekness or with humility what God and other people have to say, at the end of the day it comes down to, do I care about what they have to say? And I think you ought to ask yourself that same question. Do I really care? When I read God's word, when I come to church, do I really care what God has to say or am I looking for God to align with my preconceived notions? Do I want God to fit into my my perspectives, into my worldview? Do I want God to make me feel good about the things that I already believe? Same with other people. Do, Do I really care what they have to say? Or am I just listening to them based off of if they agree with me or not, or validate me or not, or make me feel like my assumptions, my convictions, my little boxes are right? And so I encourage you, ask yourself that question. Do some serious soul-searching and heart-searching with that question. Second question, do I listen to understand or to be understood? Do I listen to understand or to be understood? Now, Every good, actually back to the first question, before I move into this second question, with the first question, do I care about what God and others have to say? I think that is the main question if you're thinking through how do I grow as a listener. Some people will jump to, well, go to a, go to a there, there's some great TED Talks on how to become a better listener, or some great seminars, or some great books, or some great blogs that you can read about how to be a good listener. Or you can do premarital counseling with Andrew and Brittany, and they'll tell you how to do active listening. They'll walk through the little prepare and rich. It's terrible, right? Those of you who did premarital counseling with us, that's like the worst exercise. The active listening exercise is so awkward. But the reality is you can, you can put in some effort to grow as a listener, but if you don't care what the other person has to say, it doesn't matter what techniques you have for active listening. The, the heart of the matter is, do you care? Do you care what God has to say to you, and do you care what another person has to say to you, whether or not you agree with them? Do you care? Second question to ask yourself now, do I listen to understand or to be understood? And this, this kind of flows out of that second one. I don't know about you, but I know about me because I live with me. It's awful. I do a lot of listening So that, I earn the right to be heard. I've realized, how awful. I'm a pastor. You're all sitting there like, aren't you supposed to be more mature and better than that? Yeah, I'm not. I've realized this last year just how often I'm like quiet, I'm listening to somebody, and in my head I'm like, this will earn me the right to tell them where I think they're wrong later on. And James here is saying, let every person be quick to hear. He's not saying just quick to hear the words that are coming out of somebody's mouth. He's saying you ought to listen to understand, to really know what somebody is going through, to really know what somebody has dealt with. 
And so I think a question for us to wrestle with is, do I listen to understand or simply to be understood, knowing that if I put my time in, then I can share with them my perspective or my experience or my frustrations, and then they will show me empathy. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself this morning. That's okay if I am. But I think this is a good question for us to wrestle with. And then lastly, third question on this, do I listen with humility or as the authority? And this is what James is saying, right? Let every person be quick to hear. And then he says, receive with meekness the implanted word. And so there's this humility in which we receive God's word. I think oftentimes, those of us who have been Christians for a while and grown up um, listening to a lot of sermons, listening to a lot, of, a lot of podcasts, reading a lot of books, sometimes we actually read the scriptures as though we're the authority on the scriptures. Especially those of you who have more of a theologically sound or rigorous upbringing. Sometimes you read God's word, you, you have the authority of your theological camps and boxes, and you read God's word and you figure out, how does God's word fit into my box of Calvinism? How does God, God's word fit into my box of Arminianism? How does God's word fit into my, my understanding of it from what I formerly had? And so the question that I think we need to wrestle with, and here James in the first century to the early church, saying, let every person be quick to hear, receive with meekness, with humility, God's implanted word. And so when you read God's word, do you read it with humility? I mean, when you read this passage that, that we're studying today for the hundredth time, do you look at it in humility and say, God, teach me something new, challenge me, convict me, train me for righteousness, grow me up. I, I want to hear you in humility. Or do you say, yeah, I've heard that a hundred times. I could teach that. I have that task this morning. Teach this. But I'm, I, I want to be growing in this. I want to be mastered by the scriptures. I don't want to become a master of the scriptures. And I think this applies to our relationship with others. When you listen to other people, do you, do you genuinely listen with humility, with meekness? Or are you the authority? You, you already know what you think. You've already developed your opinions, your perspectives, your truths on this matter. And so therefore, I'm going to listen, but, but I'm kind of tuning out because I actually know. Man, it, it's just embarrassing to me as I search my own heart on some of these. This summer, as I've had a lot of conversations about race relations in America, I can't tell you how quick I was to find a black voice that agreed with my white perspective. Anybody else? I know some of you are guilty of that. You've sent me some videos. That's not wrong, right? But it's crazy how quick I was to say, well, I found somebody else to validate my experience before I even listened to other people's experience, before I even validated their experience, before I even really cared about what they were going through. Tomorrow, February 1st, is the first day of Black History Month. It's a great opportunity for you to listen to some other voices with humility, to really listen to some black Americans and their experience of race here in America, to, to really grow, and I guarantee you, applying the wisdom of Scripture to listen humbly to be quick to hear, 
to receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, that's the authoritative word of God, right? So not everyone's opinions, everyone lived experience, everybody's stuff to share is, is the authoritative word of God, right? But there's a principle at play here that as we are quick to listen, we will grow our relationship with God, the authority on all things, and others who have legitimate experiences and, and ideas that differ from ours, they will prosper. Second point in this passage here is to speak sparingly. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Slow to anger. Notice he doesn't say don't speak and don't be angry. He says be slow to speak. Make sure that you're really listening. Make sure that you're being humble, that you're listening to others, that you're receiving what they have to say that you're listening to understand, not to be understood, that you're listening with humility, that you, that you really want to care for other people by hearing what they have to say. And then he says, right out of that, quick to hear, slow to speak. And how rare is this in our culture? Our culture is filled with speech. I did some research this week to try and figure out how much content we take in in the average day in words and images, and I couldn't figure it out because there's a, I mean, how do you figure that out, right? And 97% of statistics are made up on the spot, so how can you trust what you read? I just made it 98%. But speak sparingly. How many of us rush into a conversation with somebody over here about something and we take all of this information or all of these conversations that we've had here and now we're having a conversation with a person over here and we bring all of this to the table like we have to correct them or fix them or say something rather than just letting this be a genuine conversation. Amen? Anybody guilty of that? I've spent hours reading, listening, thinking, now I'm ready to say something to you in my 140-character tweet. We're so quick to speak. And here, God's authoritative, wise, loving, helpful word is for us to be slow to speak, to speak sparingly. So two self-reflection questions on this point. Number one, do I tend to speak rashly or sparingly? And just think about that for yourself. This upcoming week, I, I promise you, this passage will do wonders for your relationships with God and others if you take time to wrestle with it. And to allow God to actually speak to you about how you're doing in listening to others. So the question here is, do I tend to speak rashly or sparingly? There's this passage that haunts me from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Let me read it for you. It says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. 
For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. That haunts me probably because I come to the house of God and do a lot of speaking. But, but do you hear God's wisdom there and instruction? Do not be rash with your words. Let your heart not be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. You could have put in hours of listening to podcasts, reading blogs, reading books, doing your research, and you think you've become an expert on something. You're still on earth. We have the internet. We have access to so much information. We all think that we're experts, right? We're all armchair quarterbacks. But this passage is reminding us God is in heaven. He has the the heavenly view. He knows all of history. He knows, knows every detail. He knows every nuance. He not only saw the video, and he not only has perspectives about what happened in the video, he knows the heart of every individual captured in that video and what was going on, what was in their heart, what was in their head, what was malicious, what wasn't malicious. God knows. And so when you come near God, when you approach him with your opinions, Do you tend to speak rashly or sparingly? Do you tend to, this is the encouragement here. Ask yourself the question, then the encouragement is to just slow down, to open up your ears and say, God, reveal to me your truth, your wisdom, your perspective, and then help me to shut my mouth. Second question to ask yourself here is, do my words contain more hypocrisy, hypotheticals, and hyperbole or holiness? Do my words contain more hypocrisy, hypotheticals, and a hyperbole or holiness? If you pay attention, our culture right now, if you honestly pay attention and assess our culture, you'll notice how much hypocrisy, how many hypotheticals, and a hyperbole is out there. That's all the news is. I paid attention this week. I read articles, I read headlines, I listened and Here's what they do. They take a clip of what somebody else said, a clip. They play the clip for you, and then they make a whole series of comments on that clip. They take that clip out. There's no context. So, former President Trump said this. Boom, here's a a clip without context. And then they make an entire news series on this clip out of context of what he said. Current President Biden said this, a clip. And then they, they, they assess everything that he said out of context. And they blow everything out of proportion. I just said everything. That's me doing the exact same thing. They blow a lot of stuff out of proportion. See, this is the culture that we live in. Extremism. It's like, just pay attention. When you're on social media, be, as Jesus says, Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Whether you're watching the news, whether you're reading blogs, whether you're on social media, you'll notice that the world is quick to speak and our speech is filled with a lot of hypocrisy. There's a lot of things that don't add up. People speaking out of both sides of their mouths. There's a lot of hypotheticals. A lot of what if. Well, sure, what if, but that's not even the real question at hand. And a lot of hyperbole. And the scriptures call us to be people of holiness. James is saying, be be quick to hear and slow to speak because your words matter. Later on in James chapter 3, he's going to say that that our tongue is like the rudder of a ship. It has great power. 
You, you know the phrase, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me? That's not true. How many of you have been hurt by somebody's words? Every single one of us. Because words matter. So church, family, speak sparingly. And honestly assess and ask yourself, are my words, are they more filled with hypocritical statements and hypothetical statements and hyperbolic thinking? Or am I saturated in holiness and am I speaking out of holiness? I love Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 with me. Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. What if as you spoke sparingly, remember, don't say too much. I realize the irony of all the words that I'm getting in this morning as I'm telling us to be quick to hear and slow to speak. But I think we ought to take this to heart. Speak sparingly. Speak less and speak in holiness. I love this passage. It says, only speak that it may give grace to those who hear. Is that your, is that your intent when you open your mouth? That your words may give grace to the people who are listening to you? Or is it to condemn other people? Or is it to correct other people? Or is it to confront other people? Lord, may our words be few and may they be meaningful and may they be filled with grace. Thirdly, oppose rightly. Flip back to James, James chapter 1, still in verse 19. James says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Is there much anger in our world right now? There's so much anger. And so much of it is tied to our speech. And it's tied to the fact that words matter. That words have a huge impact in people's actions and belief systems. And so James, the brother of Jesus, is saying, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. To anger. The reason why I say oppose rightly is because the, the Greek word here for anger, it's translated into wrath, and it means steady opposition. James is saying be slow to oppose. Be slow to oppose. Slow to become angry. As you, as you listen, be slow to respond, and slow to make a judgment, or slow to oppose the other person. Again, he doesn't say never oppose. There's certainly things that we're supposed to oppose in this world, right? There's darkness and kingdoms of darkness and lies and, and wars and rumors of wars that ought to be opposed by God's righteous people and God's righteous word and God's life-giving truth. But James is saying, be slow. Be slow to make your judgment be slow to plant your flag in the ground. Be slow to oppose because you need to make sure you're opposing the right thing. Justin Gibney, the president of a great organization called the AND Campaign, has a podcast that I listened to a couple months ago called um, The Danger of Christian 
of opposition-centered public witness. And I'll put a link on Facebook later today. The entire point is, he says that oftentimes in our culture, we work from an opposition-centered perspective. And so we figure out what we're against from another person or another party or another group or another theological system. It doesn't really matter whether we're talking about politics or church or business philosophy. We figure out what we're opposed to, and then we build so much of our life out of how we oppose what we're against. Incredibly helpful to be reminded in this culture, I don't know if you've realized that we live in a two-party system, Republicans and Democrats, and they seem very opposed to each other, right? You've realized that, amen? I'm not speaking to people who haven't felt the effects and the weight of that. CNN, Fox News, are they opposed to each other? They seem to be. James is saying, be, be slow to anger, slow to opposition. So two self-reflection questions for us on this point. Number one, do I have settled opposition where I shouldn't? Again, James isn't saying don't get angry. There is a righteous anger. But you need to be aware of the fact that we live in a culture that's filled with too much anger and not righteous anger, like just fleshly anger. I don't like them. I don't like their perspective. I don't like what they have to say. I don't like their style. I don't like their culture. I don't I oppose this. I oppose that. I oppose everything. And so we need to be careful. We need to slow down and we, we need to assess our hearts and allow God to reveal to, to us. And I encourage you this week to ask yourself that question. Do I have settled opposition where I shouldn't? Have I, have I become opposed to people where I necessarily shouldn't. Maybe I haven't even gotten to know them, but I think I'm opposed to them because of a sign in their yard. Do you know your neighbors? Or do you just assume that you're opposed to them because you have opposing views on certain things? Do you even know their views on certain things? And so we need to be careful. We, we can oppose sin that destroys people, but we shouldn't oppose people created in the image of God. Don't oppose other people's ideas. Oppose harmful and false ideology, but not ideas. Be open enough and humble enough to have conversations. Don't oppose genuine questions. We can, we can oppose foolish assertions, but if somebody has genuine questions, why, why oppose that? Second, Self-reflection question here is, do I work to find common ground and make space for nuance, or do I tend to oppose the whole idea, issue, and or person? You should wrestle with that for yourself this week. Do I come into conversations seeking to find common ground, allowing space for nuance and for, for clarification, for misunderstanding, one of the most helpful things I ever heard in a, in a seminar with another pastor. He did a session like I'm doing right now. He just talked at us for an hour, and then we had a little break, and we came back for a Q&A. And the first person in the Q&A asked him a question. He said, thanks for asking that question. To clarify, he said, remember, any time that you're in any kind of conversation, what somebody says, what you hear them say, and what they intended to say may be three different things. Right? How many of you have been misunderstood? How many of you have misunderstood somebody? And so we need to, as people 
who apply the word of God, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. As we want to grow in this, we ought to work to find common ground and make space for nuance, for clarification, for correction. Not jumping into opposing ideas or people or issue wholesale. This person believes that, that means they're dead to me. We have opposing worldviews. We have opposing theologies. We have opposing political views. That is the world that we live in. That is not the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, last point here. Act godly. And so all of this can be summarized here. The last, I mean, the entire context of this is to act godly. But James, he just brings it down to home. Verse 22, he says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only. So he's saying, yes, be Be quick to hear. Listen to God and listen to others. Listen to God and listen to others. Listen to God and listen to others. Truly listen. Listen to understand. Listen to learn. Listen to grow. And as you do that, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Couple, and and that's what the rest of this text deals with. He's just saying that if, if you listen to God's word and you do nothing about it, you're like a person who looks in the mirror and you forget how you look. That's why we took the mirror down in the hallway. We didn't want you to be like that. We wanted you to get counseling resources. Do what you know. Apply what you've heard. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. It's so simple. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Not to have all the right ideas, all the right views, all the right counter-arguments, all the facts to know everything, to correct everyone. It's to just put your faith into action. To be a doer of God's word. So a couple assessment questions for you. Do I spend more time listening to God's word or acting upon it? Now this isn't to, to separate those two, right? They're one and the other. They, they go hand in hand. That's why James puts them hand in hand. Be quick to hear. Verse 19. But be doers of the word. My fear is that sometimes in our Western American church culture, we have a lot of information intake. We listen to a lot of podcasts. We listen to a lot of sermons. We read a lot of books. We do a lot of blogging. We know a lot about what the Bible says, and we continue to neglect the vulnerable people groups around us. Now, that's not true of this church. I mean, all of us have various degrees of this, right? Day in and day out. But overall, I want you to be encouraged, church. You do so much putting your faith into action. And here's, here's what I've, I've observed in general, is oftentimes the people who are saying the least are doing the most. And so just keep getting after it, church. Keep getting after it. Keep putting God's word into action. Somebody in our church bought a big, massive shovel them and their neighbors, so that, they could, so that they could shovel their elderly neighbor's driveway. That's putting your faith into action. I mean, there's hundreds of stories. That's the one that just popped into my mind just now. There's hundreds of stories of what you're doing. Continue to do it. 
continue to be doers of the word, not hearers only. And then the last question here is, am I caring for orphans, widows, or other vulnerable people groups? That's, that's what James is getting at here. In this culture, in this context, in the first century, the most vulnerable people groups were orphans and widows. This is true of pretty much any culture, any time and place. But even more so uniquely in the first century, orphans and widows in their affliction. There's other vulnerable people groups here now. There, there's immigrants, there's refugees, there's the poor, there's single mothers, there's single fathers. What James is saying here is that we must act godly as we, as we listen humbly and speak sparingly and oppose rightly. We oppose the right things, not everything. In the midst of all that, we act godly. We care for the oppressed. We care for the broken. We care for the hurting. So keep doing it, church. This is how you know your faith is genuine, if you put into action the things that you know. Now, as I wind down the sermon here, I just want to come back to the gospel. I don't want to leave you with four things to do to improve your relationship with God and others. I want to close out with the gospel. And I'm haunted by verse 20. James says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. There's a lot of anger right now, right? A lot of fleshly anger in our world. And as I've noticed this past year in my own heart, I'm opposed to a lot of things and people and ideas and ideologies that I've never even really assessed before. I've never really listened to a lot of things before. And, and this year, I'm trying really hard to listen to different perspectives, listen to different takes, listen to different voices, genuinely listen and say, maybe they're right. Maybe my worldview is wrong. And I'm finding more and more that it actually is. Praise the Lord. But what, what I want to wrestle with as we finish this morning is this verse. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. What is the righteousness that, righteousness that God requires? Do I have it? If my opposition doesn't produce it, then what does? This is the gospel. This is the the cure that we need each and every week, each and every day, each and every moment. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where the Apostle Paul says, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. James says our own fleshly impulses, our own fleshly anger, our own fleshly attempts to deal with the wrong in our own hearts and in the world, it does not produce the righteousness of God. You're opposed to some things in yourself. Good, you should be. There's some things in you that you ought to oppose. There's some things in you that are not godly. There's some things in the world that you oppose. Good, you should but your opposition to the things in you and the things in the world does not produce righteousness. You can't muster up righteousness on your own. Where does it come from? It comes from Jesus, the perfect righteousness given in our place. And so you could live the rest of your life being quick to speak, slow to hear, quick to become angry, not acting godly, and Jesus died in your place on your behalf. But if you believe that and if you've received that, he will begin to work in you, causing you to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and acting more like Jesus, the perfect son of righteousness. Amen? 
So as we gather at Park Community Church, we gather to remember Jesus. We want to learn principles for how to grow in our relationship with God and one another. There's four really important key principles here in this passage. But ultimately, we gather to fix our eyes on Jesus, the perfect righteousness of God, who makes us righteous before God. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come back up and close us out with a song. And as they do, there's a communion packet in the pew in front of you. As you feel led and ready, take that packet. The wafer reminds us of Jesus' body given for us, the perfect righteous life of Jesus, dying a sinner's death. The cup represents his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins, for the forgiveness of our inability. And it's a reminder that we've been given his righteousness. And so take it when you feel led and ready as the band plays and then stand and sing with us a reminder of the gospel truth. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Lord, would you help us to be a people who are quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and people who are doers of your word. Jesus, thank you for giving yourself for us, for being our perfect righteousness, that for our sake, you who knew no sin became sin, so that in you, we become the righteousness of God. We love you. Amen.